So one thing I love uh, about my mom is that she raised three boys and that was not easy at times. I'm a parent now and have a son of my own and she was just so loving and caring and nurturing and was all the things for uh, me and my brothers. And I just love that she allowed us to explore our own path and help to guide us in our spiritual gifts and finding what the Lord has called us to do. And I think she was such a pivotal role in, in helping us find that. Probably one of the most fun times I have with my mom is when we both decided to run a marathon. And it was uh, very uh, grueling for both of us. But over the course of the marathon, we were able to share um, all of her prayer requests, and then I got to share all of my prayer requests, all that we could think of, and then we were able to pray. She prayed for me, and then I prayed for her, and it was just a great extended time of awesome Christian fellowship, really with my sister in Christ. She's the best. She's my favorite mom I could ever have in my life. Whenever I have a baseball game, my team is like the worst in the league, but she still always thinks we can win for some reason. My mom is very nice. She's gonna make you wise, but I'm not wise. Mother's Day for me is a day that is full of celebration, um, celebrating not only my mom, but also my incredible mother-in-law, my sister, my sister-in-law, um, and the moms that they are. Mother's Day also magnifies the loss that we've experienced through reoccurrent miscarriages. I think Mother's Day is a day that is really special for a lot of people, and it can be really easy for women to feel bad on Mother's Day because the reality is it's a day that's not easy for everyone. Um, and so I think it's possible for you to hold the grief and the celebration at the same time. So on Mother's Day, I wanna say, Mom, I love you. Thank you so much for your investment in your children, um, in me. Uh, I'm forever thankful, and I hope to be half the parent you were and are, and we just love you so much. Mom, I love you, and I'm so proud of you for your walk with God, and it's so neat to see how you put God first. I hope you have a happy Mother's Day, and uh, really enjoy your time, and uh, I love you so much, and respect you. I love you so much and I'm so thankful for you and I'm thankful for you not because our story is has always been easy but because of the work we have put in to build our relationship and grow our relationship and that's been really special and really sweet and it's always paid off. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Well, good morning, Fellowship family, and welcome to those of you who are new to Fellowship or a guest. We would love to connect with you in the center booth of the foyer and meet you and help get you connected here at Fellowship. Well, hey, good morning. Happy Mother's Day once again. We want to do two things right now. We want to celebrate Mother's Day, but we also have the privilege of doing a parent-child de dedication here in a moment with my dear friend, Robin, and these beautiful families and children here in the front front row. Uh, but hey, th this morning, we just want to begin and pause before we continue and just say that, that for, uh, for most of us in the room, Mother's Day is a joyful occasion. But for some in the room, Mother's Day may be a painful reminder of grief or loss. 
And I just want to speak to you for a moment and just say that the Lord sees you and that it's okay to feel sorrow and sadness uh, and that the Lord is with you, that he loves you. And my prayer is that you would feel the peace of, and comfort of Christ this morning. Well, hey, I, I'm convinced that mothers are greatly underappreciated and underpaid. Would anyone agree with that? Underappreciated, underpaid. Yeah, oh, I see that hand. Uh, you know, the longer that I live uh, and the longer that I get to observe, observe my wife and the daily laying down her life for our children, uh, the more I realize that this calling of motherhood is, very, is a Christ-like calling. And so uh, it, it's reminded me that, that I'm a son and that there's no way that I'd ever understand the sacrifice that my mother and my father made growing up. Um, but the older I get, the more I get a glimpse into some of those sacrifices. And we can't repay uh, the sacrifice of our mothers. And so uh, for 18 years, you're, you're trying to nurture their physical, their spiritual, and their, their emotional health. And then at 18, they just leave. Without a proper thank you or goodbye, there's no way. To, to repay that. And so uh, every parent passes wounds to their children, but thankful for God's grace and what you're doing. You're doing a great job, and I just want to encourage you and thank you. In fact, it's got me thinking about my own mother, and mom usually attends the nine o'clock service. Mom, are you in the room right now? Where are you at? Are you here? Mom? She's not here. Okay. Well, normally she attends uh, the nine o'clock. Uh, <coughs> I'm grateful for my mother. She raised seven of us, yes, seven children. Uh, six out of the seven are normal, well-adjusted adults. Um, we all know that middle children are not normal or well-adjusted, so, so six out of seven. Mom, I've got flowers for you right here if you're in the room. I, I'll see you later. I can give them to you later, but uh, I love you, Mom. Would you guys give a round of applause for all the mothers? We love you and appreciate you. Right now, we want to transition to a parent-child dedication. We believe that children are a blessing from the Lord and that for those of us who he's entrusted children to, we know that we're just stewards and that when he gives children to us, we turn around and hand them right back to the Lord. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. My dear friend Robin, uh, who I've been around the world with, she is our team leader for our elementary uh, children's ministry. And I love your heart. Thank you for caring for my own children. She's going to introduce these lovely families this morning. Thanks, Jimmy. Mm -hmm. So I'm so excited to be here with you today. We do have some families. We're going to dedicate their children and the parents uh, this morning. So let me start with the Darrow family. This is Bennett James Darrow. He has a big brother, Brooks. That's sweet. His parents are Luke and Kaylee. They say Bennett is such a sweet addition to our family. Our prayer for him is to have love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Then we have the Heiserers. Come on up. This is Isaac Scott and his parents, Matt and Elizabeth. They say Isaac is our sunshine boy who loves the moon, books, his family, and eating. <laughs> then we have Collins Christine Olson. 
Dane and Claire are her parents. Look at that smile. Ah. Collins is our tiny but mighty girl. She has the kind of smile that lights up her entire face and a giggle that makes everyone else laugh with her. Collins smiles the biggest when she's being independent, like when she wants her dad to hold her standing on her tiny little legs and she refuses to be sat down. So we pray the Lord uses her joy and independence to make his name greater and the world brighter. We love you, Collie girl. <laughs> Lane Ivy Price, mom and dad, Will and Jordan. So she brings so much joy to our family. She loves to be around mom and dad, go outside and eat. There's a theme going here. She's giggly, energetic, and loves getting into whatever she can reach, which is probably a lot of things now that she's getting bigger. Kaiden, Jade, Vincent, Chesney, and Jason are her parents. She has big brother and sister, Zayden, and Riken. Kaiden is full of laughter, love, and a little orneriness. Her favorite things are playing, dancing, laughing, and following her siblings. We're also this morning dedicating Riken Spree, Vincent. So Riken has a strong-willed personality, but with a soft heart. She loves all things pink and sparkly, any animal and her siblings. Well, parents, I'm going to read a charge to you. The Lord has entrusted some beautiful children to you. And, uh, and as I read these questions, if you agree, just say, we will, okay? Parents, will you commit to pray for your children that they would know and walk with Jesus all the days of their life? And will you model a Christ-centered lifestyle to them? And as Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says, will you disciple them? and teach them everything the Lord Jesus commands us in his holy word. If so, say, we will. Amen, amen. Well, congregation, you're a part of this as well. This is the future of fellowship and the future of our community. And so we are a family, a community of faith. And so you're part in this. Fellowship, these children are the future. Will you commit to praying for these and all of the children at fellowship? Will you take the opportunity to encourage, serve, and invest in these children represented here today and all of our children here at Fellowship? If so, say, we will. Amen. Amen. Well, Father God, we pray right now over all of these children. Lord, we just thank you for the gift that you've given each of us. Lord, how you're going to change the world in them and through them as they're raised in the household of faith. We pray, Lord, that they would walk with you all the days of their lives, never straying to the left or to the right. And when they do, if they do, Lord, they would remember the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and come home. Lord, right now, we want to pray for sweet Bennett James. We pray Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you 
or forsake you. Lord, we entrust and commit Bennett James to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for sweet Isaac. Lord, we thank you for his sweet spirit. And we pray Philippians 4, 5, 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Lord, we entrust sweet Isaac to you and commit his life to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for sweet Collins. Lord, and we lift her up and we pray Romans 15, 13 over her. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may be overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we entrust Collins to you and dedicate her life in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for sweet Lane Ivy. Lord, when we pray Psalm 51, 10 through 12 over her, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Lord, we thank you for her. We commit her life and entrust her to you in Jesus' name. Lord, and we thank you for Kite and Jade. Lord, we pray Psalm 139, 14. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Lord, and we thank you for Reikenspree. Lord, we pray 1 Corinthians 16, 13, 14 over. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Lord, we entrust these two children, the Vincent family, to you and dedicate their lives in Jesus' name. Lord, we love you and pray a blessing that you would hold and keep each of these families in your love and your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you guys give a round of applause for these families? You're welcome to take the kids back. All right, in an effort to continue and remind you to pray for these families, feel free to take a picture of these sweet children this morning as you continue to pray for them. Thank you all. Amen. So awesome. So awesome. You can remain seated. We're going to move in time, uh, into a time of offering. We're just going to focus on the new life, new identity that we have in Jesus Christ.
grows cold And when my flesh is failing I know the Spirit is willing To point me back to you For to live is Christ And to die is better So help me remember That my soul to you is all I Remember together, sing it if you know it. Remember his, remember his atoning, his body broken for me, and remember his approval. He gave his life to save so.
trusting Jesus the one who loves us and the one who gave himself up for us Lord help us find confidence in that we'll give you the honor we'll give you the praise pray these things in Jesus name amen good morning I'm Jason McMahon I am the global outreach pastor here so good to be with you guys what a beautiful morning that we get to celebrate mothers on this beautiful day and celebrate Jesus and what he's doing here with us. So with that said, I bet some of you guys for Mother's Day, anybody get a good gift today? Any of you guys, mothers, get good gifts? You have to raise your hand if you're sitting by your kid and say that at this point, right? So I have my mother a gift, but if anybody's in my stage of life, you probably have felt this. Because Mother's Day can be a bit complicated because I have my mother a gift, but I don't have my wife to gift. And so I'm gonna ask you guys to help me out a little bit here uh, with this. And so I'm gonna honor my wife by showing a picture on the giant screen. I don't know if she's gonna be happy or sad, but <laughs> look at this. So this is my two adventurous kids who want to climb Mount Sinai. So with the, the missions agency that I was with, they pulled us out, they did a retreat, we were right next to Mount Sinai, and these two little adventurous kids said, man, I wanna go see if the Ten Commandments are up there. And so that's what they wanted to do. My wife, now here's the hard part, here's how awesome she is, and many of you mothers are like this too, because I know my, my mom's like this, and she said, I'll do it, because you have to go at eight o'clock at night on your vacation, and you have to start climbing at midnight to summit to see the sunrise in the morning, and then you have to climb down and then you're tired and for like two or three days and that kind of thing. But my wife said she would do that with these two kids. And so moms, you do the things that we don't wanna do sometimes and we appreciate you. And so I also wanna say thank you for cooking and serving the families and doing all the things that you do, Melissa, and other moms, and even carrying the food on your head sometimes, right? Does anybody else's mom do that? Carry food around on their head? So Melissa does that. By the way, the Ten Commandments weren't up there. The burning bush was, though. So with my, with my kids, they found that, so they were happy. And so I know I'm grateful for my mom. I'm grateful for all the moms and how you help us to make beautiful families by serving the families. Um, we miss the ones that aren't here. And I know that was said today, I miss my grandmothers. And so it's hard to think about them today. Then the reality of, the, of this is you're tired. Look at my kids' faces. Can you see that? They think unlimited screen time. This is a 12-hour flight. Candy. The, the, the people will bring us sodas anytime we want them. And that's what their face says. And Melissa, we haven't even taken off yet, and she's asleep. So moms, my gift to all of you is you can say the pastor said I can take a nap today. And so you can go home and tell your family that if that's something that you want to do. My favorite part about Melissa 
my mom, so many moms here as I look around the crowd and see friends and faces that I know, is when your story expresses the authentic Jesus Christ and what the power of the cross and the resurrection and the grace that came with all of that does. And Melissa does that um, so well for our family. And so today, right at the top, we're going straight to the big idea of this passage because nothing says Mother's Day like Saul's conversion, right? Is that the greatest passage to teach on Mother's Day? And so Jesus can redeem all stories for his glory. And so we love it when that happens. That's one of my favorite kind of movies, like my favorite movie's Rocky, and we're, we're gonna re- have a redemption story. And so today, we're gonna get into that with Saul and his redeeming power and his redeeming story, how Jesus, he, he gets in the light of the cross and he, he recognizes who Jesus really is. So, with this said, we're gonna take a look at this Risen series because you might be thinking, last week John Barclay taught us that Jesus ascended to heaven, so how do we have two more weeks of Jesus' appearances, right? How's that gonna happen? And so we look at, that, we look at this, in this in this chart, and you can see where we have all the weeks coming up, and then today we know that Jesus is gonna appear to Saul in a dream and a vision in reality, he comes and intercepts him, and then he appears to Ananias later in a dream and a vision. And so, who is Saul? Let's take a look at that right off the top of who he is. He's a sincere Hebrew man. He's from the tribe of Benjamin, and Acts 13 tells us that. He's a man of the law, Romans 7. He's a student of Gamaliel, who is a top rabbi, and he's spoken about often in the, in the book of Acts about how powerful he is. And at one point, the disciples are arrested for spreading the gospel, and he comes in and says, I think we should let them go because it'll have the reverse effect of what we want. And then Saul is a Pharisee. Acts 8 tells us that. He's a leader. He's a scholar. He's a Roman citizen, and he's a high achiever. We often think of him as a Christian killer or a terrorist. He is that too. He is that too. So if you have a copy of the Bible in your language, isn't that a blessing to be able to read in your heart language today? I have friends that don't have that. I'm gonna ask you to open it to Acts 9. We're gonna start at verse one, and I'm gonna pray. Lord, we just thank you for today, and we thank you for this story of Saul and how he was sincere and what he chased, but that you intercepted his story so that you might receive glory. We pray today as we read these scriptures that you change our hearts so that we might know you better, so that we might be blessed by everyone's story, living in community together. And so let these scriptures illuminate today, and we thank you for them in Jesus' name, amen. All right, right to Acts Chapter nine, verse one. Meanwhile, while Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. 
Now that doesn't sound like a scholar. It doesn't sound like a man of the law. It doesn't sound like a sincere man of Jewish faith. That sounds a whole lot more like a terrorist to me, right? So let's take a look in Acts 7 about how this is, why this might be. And so this would be a familiar story to some, but this is something that Saul participated in. And so Acts 7, verse 54 through 60 says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. So they're talking about Stephen here. Stephen's full of the Holy Spirit, he's preaching, and people are coming to Jesus because of the power and the authority and the Holy Spirit moving in his preaching. So that's where we are. Picking up back in verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open, and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, and they were yelling at the top of their voices. And they all rushed at him, and they dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Saul was there. He held their coats while they threw rocks and hit this disciple in the head. Continuing on, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. So let's go back to verse one, and let's see if we can read that in light of that story, because it says, meanwhile, Saul was still, still. So why was he still? Because if he had been there, when they, he championed these guys, he cheerleaded them as they threw rocks at another human being for sharing his faith. He championed them for this, and then it goes on. He's still breathing out murderous threats underneath his breast toward the Lord's disciples. You guys ever do that? You ever breathe out murderous threats? Road rage, maybe? Right, somebody cuts you off on Pleasant Grove and you're kind of running late and you gotta drop all the kids off at church and they cut you off and under your breath you're like, oh, that kind of thing, right? And so, or moms, I know many moms don't do this. Sometimes kids have, one time we had our kid when we were living in France, he went and colored on the side of someone's car with a stick. Yeah, I might have breathed out some murderous threats at that point. So let's take a look at Saul's mindset here. He has a mindset of hatred, hostility. Saul goes to get permission from the high priest. He wants, he wants man's approval because he's a Pharisee. He wants to finish the work that the Sanhedrin did not finish. You guys ever do that? You ever seek man's approval? Even good people, I do that. Like I, I want Mickey Rapier to think, man, that's good what Jason did sometimes. And that's okay, but we always are seeking Jesus' approval first, right? And he wanted to do what so many other, and I want you to catch this point, so many other Old Testament people had failed to do because the Hebrews had fallen false idols. They had followed false messiahs, false gods, and he wanted to snuff that out. He wanted to kill these false messiahs, these false idols. He was so zealous for this. 
And he wanted to imprison people in the way. The way meaning Christianity, the early church, right? I love that. It kind of reminds me of the Mandalorian. If there's any young people in here, this is the way, right? That it escaped from Jerusalem. So that talks about that they rounded more people up besides Stephen at that time. They had got more people. They had rounded them up. They had escaped Jerusalem. They had moved on to Damascus. He wanted to chase them down, but he wanted the high priests to give him the paperwork to do that. He wanted Christianity stopped in his tracks early on. This is who Saul is. So let's look at verse two again, and it says, whether it was men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. I love this because it shows early on the threat of men and women in the church, unified together, early Christianity, working together. He didn't want to just culturally arrest the men and think that would end it. He knew that the women were a big part of this also. And so it was an important part, I think, that gives proof of what the early church is like. And you saw that this morning in our church service uh, with all these beautiful children and the mothers and, and Robin and what was going on. And so I think it was a beautiful act of worship when we did that earlier. So Saul, full of power, full of pride, full, and complete authority of the high priest, who he could, was the most honorable person that he could find to get this authority from, he sets out with clear vision to destroy the way early on before it can ever get off the ground. That's what he wanted to do. That's who this guy is. And so I wanna show you here, how does Saul intend to enter Damascus? He's proud, he's powerful, and he's a persecutor. He's proud of his own abilities. He feels powerful because he has this paperwork from the high priest. My religion says that you don't belong because you worship a false messiah. Then he plans to persecute. Another word that we can use is a terrorist, right? Someone who kills, threatens, persecutes for religious beliefs is a terrorist. That's the word we use today. So that could be a term that we put on Saul, right? So we have Saul, this Hebrew guy, which by the way, Saul is his Hebrew name and you, we know him best as Paul. That's his, his Roman citizenship name. He thinks that he can do this all in his own might, all in his own power, but we know that Jesus has a much humbling story coming for him. I think you could say that Paul was sincere, I said that earlier, in his Judaism, but he was sincerely wrong. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been so sincere chasing after something that you thought was right? I think of these idols in my life all the time, what I want my kids to become, even that's a good thing. Judaism was a good thing. Being a man of the law was a good thing at a time, but it just gets off center, and Saul was sitting in this, and he was off. So I have a question for you. I wonder, who's the worst person that you guys can think of in your life? Who is it, the worst person that you know? Someone who's too far gone, Right now, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to call somebody to your heart, someone that's ruined their lives, they've ruined relationships, they've gone through like a wrecking ball through life. I want that person seared on your heart because they're gonna, they're gonna be the meditation of who we're thinking about as we apply this scripture to our life today. Let's continue in our passage here in Acts 9. We're gonna pick up at verse three. 
while you're thinking about this person, you're thinking about the cross, you're thinking about Jesus. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You remember a couple weeks ago, Caleb taught Matthew 28 and Jesus said, if you go make disciples, I will be with you. Well, so when Saul is persecuting the early church and the early Christian Stephen, and he's stoning him, he's persecuting Jesus because Jesus is proving that he was with Stephen. You heard Stephen's account of his prayers, who he saw at the right hand of the Father earlier. And so it goes on in verse five to say, who are you, Lord? So Saul recognizes this is an important figure. Who are you, Lord? And Saul asked, and then Jesus says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Okay, anybody in here a red letter Bible person? Red letter Bible people? I love the red letter Bible, okay? I love it. Because if you live overseas and you live in a context, not a Christian culture, they believe the red letters are real. They think the black letters may not be as real. That's kind of their belief, but they believe the red letters are real. And who does Jesus say he is in these red letters? And so I love to study that in this. And it also is proof of a risen, resurrected appearance of Jesus. So now let's take a look at it in the red letters here. And in verse four, it says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? This is Jesus saying this, right? Then he goes on to say, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So in this moment, Saul has a moment of belief, okay? On our next slide here, Jesus is long-awaited, promised Messiah. So Saul, think about the humility of this. Like, I, I worry that I'll get up here and I'll say something stupid and you guys will all laugh. Nobody laugh, thank you. And so, that I'll say something wrong, all those things, and I'm worried about that, right? But, I wasn't trying to kill you. I wasn't a terrorist trying to break this place up. And that makes you nervous. Now Saul, in all humility at this point, he realizes that the person he's been persecuting is alive. He is the resurrected king. It's the promised Messiah. Israel's been waiting and waiting and waiting for this promised Messiah, and they messed up. They killed him. And so he realizes this in this moment. And not only that, he realizes that Jesus is glorified now because the heavens have broke open for him to come and Jesus has taught him this. In my opinion, I believe that he, at this point, believes in Jesus. I'm not sure he's ready to put his faith in Jesus yet. So let's keep going in Acts 9, verse six here. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So there's your obedience statement. That's what he needs to do. He needs to get up, go to the city, you'll be told. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sounds, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. So Saul had clear vision of what he wanted to do. I'm going to Damascus to end Christianity. I'm going to stop the way. It will no longer prosper. I'm gonna persecute Jesus' followers, but Jesus gave him spiritual blindness. I'm sorry, Jesus gave him physical blindness to match his spiritual blindness. 
And so Jesus is so uh, involved at this point with directing Saul's steps. But I think Saul has a choice here. This is not out of compulsion. He, didn't, he wasn't forced to do this. But he has, re- he has met the resurrected King Jesus. Saul in his own personality is full of pride, power, and persecution. That's what his breath is, is murder. That's what he wants to do. And he encounters this Jesus. And it says in the scriptures, on his journey. So you could change that word to in his story. Right? And so... He would enter, though, Damascus, broken, blind, and he had to have his hand held like a child. He needed his hand held like a child. And so I think Saul, and I said this earlier, this high achiever enters Damascus with completely different mindset, broken, physically, unable to do anything. And I think Jesus put him in this state so that he was forced to do nothing but pray. And so that's all he could do, and he believed what he saw, but did he have faith? Was he ready to put his faith in this resurrected King Jesus at this point? And so I love this quote from Kent Hughes in Acts of Fire. I think it really sums up who Saul was. The great hunter, he was hunting out Christianity, who was going to wreak havoc on Damascus church. So these are the people who escaped Jerusalem. They're now in Damascus. He's going to wreak havoc on it. The church entered led by the hand, blind, weak, impotent. Saul was frightened and in despair. This was the midnight of his soul. His physical blindness paralleled his spiritual sightlessness. So let's jump back over into Acts 9 at verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Okay, I think a lot of us will identify with Ananias' story today. So this is the second encounter today of Jesus. If you're in your red letter Bible, these are in red letters coming up here soon. So we get two encounters of Jesus today. Maybe they had to let the global outreach pastor teach that, right? All right, yes, or he goes on to say, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, this is the red letter part, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul For he is praying, and in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. Come and place your hands on him to restore his sight. Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this guy, this man, and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority of the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name, which is Ananias. Okay, so I want you guys to put yourself in Ananias' place. Would you be scared? You gotta go talk to Osama bin Laden, that type person. You gotta share the gospel with them. We know they killed Stephen with stoning. He held the coats when that happened. Are you a little scared? You've gotta go to the terrorist house, and you got excuses too, right? And then he gave you directions, straight street. You got your Google location to this, where it's at. You can't even make the excuse. I don't know where it's at. I can't go. Straight street. Still to this day, this is kind of a cool fact, is straight street is the, be- or the biggest east to west street in Damascus. It's still there. It's still one of the main streets that they use. I haven't been there, but so says Google. 
Can you identify with Ananias in this story, in this testimony? Um, Jesus is asking you to share. He's asking you to pray for a terrorist, and we're scared to do it. So I re- I, I'm, I'm a big application person of like, what do the scriptures tell us to do? Because one of the worst things we can do is come and read scripture and nothing changes. Our heart never changes. And so two weeks ago, Caleb taught on the Great Commission, and he asked us, would we go and make a disciple or would we ask somebody to disciple us? And so I wonder if you're like me and you haven't done that yet. Has anybody not done that? Now, we were asked that, like ask a nice person, not a terrorist, right? And then John asked us last week to invite somebody to our community group, invite somebody to church, or invite somebody to dinner at our house and hear their story. Still haven't done that yet either, myself. And so, do we fear people? Yes. Do we fear sharing our story? Yes. But this is the place where God works. This is how it works. This is what he does. This is what Jesus came here for. He uses people. He's gonna use Ananias in this story, and I'm glad that's the case. And then we don't even have to live or do that. I'm sorry, we don't even have to do this with a terrorist. We don't have to share our story with a terrorist. So in Acts 9, uh, verse 15, it says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go with an explanation point. Go. And then he says, the calling of Saul right here. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So we know Paul was imprisoned, he was shipwrecked, he, he was killed for his belief. But if we go back to the Gentiles, I wanna make sure we're clear on this, we are the Gentiles. Unless you're a Jewish Hebrew in here today, we are the Gentiles. So I'm so glad that Ananias has got up out of his bed and went and told this murderous, terrorist, Christian persecutor about Jesus and that he prayed for him and that he did his part in this. So in Acts 28, let's look at this description of what it says to seal this, this work of the Gentiles, okay? This disagreed among or they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to the ancestors, meaning the Hebrews, when he said through Isaiah the prophet, so he's gonna go and quote Isaiah here, go to the people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Thank you, Ananias, for following this. So let's go back to the main passage. Let's pick up there in Acts 9, verse 17, and let's take a look. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. So he took the step of bravery. He obeyed Jesus, placed his hands on Saul, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road 
as you were coming here, has sent me so that, so that you may see again and you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we've got physical sight, spiritual sight by being filled with the Holy Spirit, moment of faith, and he could see again and he got up at that point and was baptized and he took some food and he regained his strength. And so I love this. I told you at the beginning, I love redemption stories and I love that this is the way that God works and it doesn't make sense sometimes in our humanity and in our brains that the way that he works is he uses our stories and it requires our faith and he requires the next step of obedience. You don't have to know the whole journey and that's hard because we work in a business world where we are doing five-year plans and we're, we're doing all these things, but he requires us to have faith, obey, faith, obey, step after step, small steps each time. And then in our stories, we live in the light of the grace of the cross and the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And we are able to tell people that about our stories. And so with that said, for me, I, I don't actually struggle. I'm a little bit like Saul. I, I believe Jesus did this and he intercepted Saul on the road to Damascus. I believe in the Damascus road and I have those things. I sometimes struggle that Jesus still does this stuff. Like, does he still really intercept people? Is he still alive and active? Like, do you have that crisis of faith sometimes? And so, I have a funny story for you guys. As you know, all the time we're asked, how did we get from coaching basketball, giving up those careers, to going to Africa? And how did that happen? And so, the first thing that's kind of, it's, I love this Risen series because the first thing is we read Matthew 28 with like new eyes. We had the scales on our eyes, we read it, and we're like, we get to go be witnesses to the ends of the earth, to the world, and that Jesus will be with us. Like that could be interesting. What does that mean? And then we read Acts 1, and it says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we're like, could that be us? but well, we don't even have good skills. The only thing we're even good at is teaching high school boys to take a leather ball and put it into an iron hoop. Those aren't even like talent skills. Sorry, basketball coaches out there, but that was what we thought, right? But God put it on our heart through reading of those passages that there's people that have scales on their eyes. Maybe they've heard of Jesus, because I think Saul probably heard of Jesus. They're the same age as about all the things that were going on, but he had the wrong point of view and the wrong information about it. And so we believe people had scales on their eyes and we wanted to be able to go and to do this. So the trick was is we needed to find those people and they needed to be bad at basketball but have some potential. So that feels kind of hard. And so of course we found this place that was a tough place and it was really, really tough in uh, Mali, Africa. And we went there and we started doing these basketball camps and we really wanted to change the world two weeks out of every summer was our plan, right? Some of you are laughing because you realize that's kind of silly is you don't change the world two weeks at a time. So that was what we wanted to do and we went there and we started doing these basketball camps and after our first year of doing the basketball camp, we stayed at this sort of rinky-dink hotel you know, in a third world country in Africa. You can imagine what that's like. Like, by the time you got to the top, the steps didn't even match. 
And so we did that, and there was a terrorist attack at the hotel next to us like a few weeks after we left. And then sometime later when we were going back, there was a terrorist attack at a resort thing. It was one of the only places that was beautiful there, and they killed American and French citizens and executed them at these two places. And so we felt like Ananias. We were scared. We were scared, and we didn't want to go. But these scriptures were compelling, and God put this on our heart. And we didn't know if people still had dreams and visions of Jesus. And Jesus still does that, and we had read this book, and we believed it, that he did it. And we prayed, help us with our unbelief. So we go for this third year, and we meet this guy named Nate, is what we're gonna call him. We meet this guy named Nate at this basketball camp, and he's like six foot nine. I'm six foot five, he's about six foot nine. And he says, hey, I'm a Muslim, and I had a dream from the prophet Jesus. Is there any way that I could share that dream with you, not here in front of all these people, because that'd be dangerous? And he said, privately, can I share it and see if you guys know if that's the prophet Jesus? And we said, yes, of course, we'd love that. But we were scared to death too, because it's happening, right? So we go back to the secret hotel room, we shut the door, we think we have it locked, we're nervous, we keep looking at the door, and he goes, here's my dream. He goes, I'm in the desert, I'm working by myself, and he goes, I'm shoveling sand, and it feels like a pointless job, it's a worthless job, and he goes, I don't know if it matters at all. He goes, I, I work so hard, and he goes, the sky rips open, and there's this man, and he has power, and he has authority, and he's holy, and I can't really look at him. And he goes, he has crowns all over his heads, and it represents all the power that he has. And he's got animals with him everywhere that we've never seen on earth. And I can feel his holiness, and I can tell how powerful he is. And we're looking at the door, we're making sure no one's coming in. We're all nervous, we're all scared, and we're like, it's happening. And I say, what'd he say? And he says, I'm coming back to win the final war, and I want you with me. And we're like, that's all he said? He said, yeah. And he goes, what do I do? And we said, brother, we flipped to Revelations and we read about the man on the white horse who wore the multiple crowns and he comes in victory and glory. And we said, that's who it is. And he cries and we cry and we can't believe this is all happening. And he goes, now what do I do? This is the prophet Jesus. And he said this to me in a dream and a vision. And we go to Acts where Peter tells him, repent and be baptized. And he cries harder and he goes, there's no way. There's no way I can do that. The next day we got on a plane and we left and we came back here. And we're like, oh wow, God, you do, do you still speak to people in dreams and visions, it's clear. I didn't believe it, I'm sorry. And so I'm telling you that this still happens. Don't you want in the game on this stuff? Like Caleb told us this, that Jesus will go with you. You have a story. Your story may not be complete right now. And so let's finish today's talk with the greatest missionary evangelist, apologist, and probably author of all time. Philippians 3, verse 8 through 11 says, What is more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. 
I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death and somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You guys remember earlier I asked you, who's the worst person you know? They're on your heart. That's the person to share your story with. And so, there's so much that we're scared to go into. I'm sure some of you guys don't believe Jesus works like this anymore and it's impossible and that he doesn't show up. I hope my story is a testimony of how he can do that. He can show up in your life and that you can honestly trust that he's out there working and that he's telling us to go share our story and what the power of the resurrection's meant to us. So at the beginning, I told you, Jesus can redeem all stories for his glory. And here at Fellowship, we have a mission statement that says to produce and release spiritual leaders who know and they express the authentic Christ to Northwest Arkansas and to the world. And so that's what we believe we do here at this church. That's your mission. That's our commission. What's the best way to do that, you ask? I'm glad you asked. Sharing your authentic story of how Jesus is at work, how it's messed up and broken. Who could have a worse story than Saul? Like he has the worst story. Now he's the greatest author. He's the greatest evangelist. He's the greatest missionary. So I want you to share your story to someone this week. Trust that Jesus is gonna show up, that he's at work in their life, that he's gonna redeem it, that he'll get the glory because of the resurrection. That's why we study this. Hey, and if your story isn't there, if you don't have Jesus in your story, we have this cool thing that we do at the end. And you go down this hallway, it says prayer room over here, and we've got these great people that can lead you and pray in that. If your story's broken and messed up, they would love to do that. And so all of us are, are broken. All of us have a broken story. This is the greatest author of the Bible, Saul. His story, your story couldn't be worse. And so you're invited at the end to do that. And I just want you to know that Jesus can redeem your story and he, he will receive the glory for that. What love could remember no wrongs we Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sin. Thrown into a sea with no bottom or shore. Our sins, they are men, his mercy is more. Praise the
grateful for our time together this morning and I uh, just have three quick announcements as we end our time together. The first is that at 1030 this morning we've got our legacy service across the hall in the family center and uh, coming up this, uh, this next week we'll have a small group leaders appreciation across the hall next Sunday morning uh, before and after services is just a drop by leaders for lattes. Lattes for leaders. I had that backwards. Uh, and so if you're a small group leader, we just want to express appreciation to you. Uh, we've got a small gift and then a, a custom-made latte, if that's your thing. If not, I'll pray for you. I don't know. I'm, I, I'll, I'll say thank you regardless. Uh, also, we have available for purchase in the foyer uh, at a table in the center uh, our spiritual rhythms uh, companion book to our study as we end the series, the Risen series, we're gonna be going into a summer series on spiritual rhythms. And so you'll wanna make sure that you grab your, your book. Um, our prayer room is open. The Campbells are in there and they're, they're uh, ready and willing to pray with you and for you. Happy Mother's Day. Love you. God bless. Go in, in the peace of Christ.